Good morning. It is, it is with, uh, uh, for Sharice and I, just such a, a heart full of joy um, to be with you guys this morning and to be able to be introduced as uh, Pastor Max. Um, we, we are so excited and um, we are looking forward to seeing what God has to do um, through us. And we just want to be here to serve you. I am um, Pastor Max. Like I said, I am one of the elders. The other two is um, Kevin and Todd. And if, if you are, are new here today, I just want to say welcome. Um, and that if, if you have any prayer requests or, or say you've been coming here for a little while and you have any questions or anything like that, in our, in our bulletin, we have this little piece of paper right here. Um, if you want to, to fill it out um, and put it somewhere, where, where can we have them put it? Because the offering already went. Um, just leave it on your seat, and I'll come by and, and collect it. Um, or just come up to me and give it to me if, if it's a personal prayer. Um, that's okay. But go ahead and just rip that out. Um, give that to me. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the, the next thing that I want to say is, is that um, we have nursery for ages 0 to 3, but after that, we, we believe that families need to be worshiping together. So other than that, we want kids to be in the worship service. And if, if you're a little nervous that ah, my, my, my kid will be a little too antsy or he doesn't have or she doesn't have the attention span, we know because they're kids and that's okay. Um, and, and so we welcome that and we want them to see their mom and dads worshiping, singing, giving, listening to the sermon. That is important to us. So... I don't want to delay much longer um, from getting into God's word. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. I'm going to read our passage, and then we're going to dive in. Today we're going to be in Genesis 3.15. And if you need a Bible at all, we have an usher who has one. And you know what? If, if you don't have a Bible and you want to keep it, just keep it. Um. So we're going to be in Genesis 3.15, and I just want to explain a little bit for right now what we're going to be doing. Because what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks is we're going to be looking specifically at some very important promises or covenants of God. There's about seven weeks until Resurrection Sunday, and so what we're going to do is we're going to start with the first one. We're going to work our way through, and then we're going to end on Resurrection Sunday with the new covenant, which is amazing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for our time, and then we're going to go ahead and dive in. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for allowing us today to gather corporately with brothers and sisters. Father, I ask that you would build up your church. You would build up your children. That today, this message would build them up and encourage them to live out your truth. 
I would be a fool not to believe that there are unbelievers here, people who don't believe in you, Father. So I ask that you would soften their hearts, that you would convict them and lead them to see your beauty. There may even be people in here today, Father, you you know this, there could be people in here today that believe they know you, have been doing this church thing for a while, yet their heart is so far away. Reveal that to them. Be gracious to them. Allow us to see fruit. Bless our time and anoint me. Allow me to be obedient to what your word says. Please speak through me. Only your words can change a heart of stone. Pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Genesis 3.15 says this. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In the passage that that we will be looking at this morning, we see God making the first promise ever in history to his people in the middle of rebellious chaos. However, before we can truly understand the weight behind this promise, we have to look back a little bit. And there is no better place to start than in the beginning. In the beginning was God, and he created the heavens and the earth. And on the first day, he created light. He spoke it into existence. On the second day, it says that he created the expanses, the atmosphere, On the third day, land, sea, and vegetation start to sprout up. And on the fourth day, he hangs the sun, the moon, and the stars in the sky. On the fifth day, fish swim through the seas and birds flap their wings for the first time. And on the sixth day land animals roam and we see the pinnacle of his creation mankind created in his image on the seventh day he he rested in this beautiful scene we see god like an artist with an empty canvas who then, after he's finished, takes a step back, looks at his creation, his masterpiece, and says, all of this is very good. 
everything was in harmony. There was no sin or evil. It was a spotless creation. Living in perfect harmony with each other. See, God had even given Adam and Eve a blessing that was in the form of a command. He said, he said be fruitful, Adam and Eve, and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. Over the fish. Over the sea. Over the birds. Have dominion over it. By all means, at this point in creation, Adam and Eve are living large, are they not? Living in this beautiful garden, being told by the creator to be king and queen over what he had made for them. Have authority over it, Adam and Eve. All that I have made, I am giving it to you to enjoy. However, the wind starts to blow, dark clouds roll in, and Adam and Eve are about to face their biggest test. You see, God had told Adam and Eve, you can eat of any tree, any bush, anything that you want, but of this one tree, do not eat of it. Adam and Eve, anything you want, I'm blessing you with anything besides just this one fruit, this one tree, don't eat of it. And one day, as Adam and Eve were in the garden, the serpent, the serpent comes up to Eve. And the serpent tempts Eve. Eve, don't you, don't you want to be like God? Here, take this fruit. Eat of it. See, God, God's just telling you. He's just telling you, don't eat this because then you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. It's not actually going to kill you. So Eve takes the fruit, sinks her teeth into it, hands it to her husband, who sinks his teeth into it, and immediately they recognize that they are naked. All of their innocence was stripped from them. And, and if you have a child, you know as they start to grow older, you start to see the innocence that they have taken away from them. And within seconds, the innocence that Adam and Eve once had were stripped. They realize they're naked. So they sew fig leaves together for clothes. And as they hear their creator who knows them perfectly, comes, they hide. 
They hide. God calls out to them. Adam and Eve, where are you? And like a, an escaped prisoner who's on the run, yet knows that his time is up and he cannot go anywhere else, Adam and Eve come out of hiding and approach their creator with their head to the ground, ready for punishment. It was through this sin, this act of disobedience, that sin entered the world. However, after this interaction with Adam and Eve, we see such an unforgettable promise. See, Adam and Eve may have sinned against God, and as God was teasing out why Adam and Eve had sinned against them, you see this strand of excuses. Adam points to the woman, and and in so doing, actually blames God too, right? It was the woman that you made for me. It's not my fault. My hands are off this. And at least Eve had the common sense to point to the one who had tempted them. So she says, it's the serpent. And although God's focus could have and maybe should have, who am I to tell God what to do, should have been on Adam and Eve, yet his focus is not on them right away. His focus is on the serpent, the one who had tempted them. And as God approaches the serpent to curse them, to curse the serpent, Adam and Eve are standing in the background listening to this curse, yet not perceiving it as a curse, but perceiving it as a most unforgettable, hopeful promise. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise his heel and you shall bruise your head or or, or (laughs) he shall bruise your, your head and you shall bruise his heel. So without hesitation, we are told that there will be conflict in this world. There will be disappointments and trials in this world. This is the first thing that that God says in this promise. That between these two parties, there will be severe conflict, enmity. But we need to ask ourselves, well, who are the two parties right here? It's the serpent and the woman, more specifically, the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman. So who is this offspring? It's the scoffers, the, the self-righteous, those who reject the gospel sinners. Who are the offspring of the woman? It's, 
the adopted children of God, more specifically, Jesus himself. I grew up in a small town of, of uh, 10,000 people in, in Marinette, Wisconsin, which was right on the border of Wisconsin and Michigan. And back in the day, I, I played a, a lot of sports. And, and one that I specifically played was, was football. And, and in Marinette, if you played on the football team, you knew who your rivals were. It was the Menominee Maroons. From the very beginning that you put on those shoulder pads, you knew the Menominee Maroons were a bunch of arrogant football players. And the Menominee Maroons knew that Marinette had a bunch of arrogant football players. See, growing up, I thought this was the pinnacle of what a rivalry looks like. And in fact, from what I have been told is that Marinette and Menominee, Menominee's in Michigan, have the longest, one of the longest actually, uh, rivalries cross state, coming in at 124 years. They've played each other 111 times. This rivalry is serious because if you're doing the math, there was the rivalry for 124 years, but you're telling me you've only played 111 years? Well, there was a, a span of 13 years where the rivalry was so intense that they just had to get rid of that game because it was getting out of hand. However, when, when I was at school and my professor was talking about this passage, he, he specifically asked, okay, so what are the great rivalries in sports? And then he went on to say, this rivalry between these offsprings far outweighs any rivalry that you will ever hear or see of. And then what he went on to do is what I'm going to go on to do next. He says, Look at the very next chapter, chapter 4 of Genesis. You see these two brothers, Cain and Abel. You see Cain, the offspring of the serpent, rise up and, and kill his brother in an unjust matter. If you go on a little more in Genesis, you see Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah where these angels come to Lot's house and the men of Sodom and Gomorrah come out and want to take and sexually abuse these angels that had come to Lot. You can see it in Moses and Pharaoh as Moses, the offspring of the woman, is trying to deliver his people from the offspring of the serpent. And maybe even more popular, uh, we can see it in David and Goliath, where there's this offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. The enmity that we are seeing here, the, the rivalry, the, the conflict that we are seeing play out before our eyes is serious to the point that people are killing each other. This is the enmity that God is talking about in Genesis 
This is the enmity that plays out through history and continues to play out. Do we not see it? Amongst our brothers and sisters overseas being persecuted, tortured, and and even killed? the reason why there is this enmity the reason why there are trials and conflicts in this world lest we think it's an us versus them is because of sin that hardens the heart and blinds the eyes So you may be thinking, well, Max, this doesn't sound like an unforgettable promise. (laughs) This actually kind of sounds pretty depressing. We need to continue to read, don't we? Because in the middle of all of this chaos, we see that there would be one that would bruise his heel and in doing so would bruise the head of the serpent. And we need to ask ourselves, well, did did any of these people, were they the ones who bruised the the head of the serpent? No. See, we cannot end this conflict. Our our works cannot end this conflict. Our, Our works cannot end the conflict and make us in right standing with a holy and just creator. See, we all fall short of the glory of God. And just in case it seems like it's an an us versus them, I need to remind us that at one point in all of our lives or currently, are or were enemies of God deserving his just and righteous wrath. Our sins prevent us from making any type of blow to the serpent. And that is good news. Because there is only one who would be able to deliver such a blow to the serpent. And his name, his name is Jesus. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In order to fully grasp this exchange, we we need to kind of reverse it a little bit. What does it mean that Jesus' heel would be bruised? It means that God would take on flesh, leaving the comfort of his kingdom, coming down and dwelling with his people, and not counting equality with himself, a thing to be grasped, Paul says. He would bruise his heel by being tempted yet never falling into temptation. He he would bruise his heel by obeying the law perfectly yet 
not being legalistic. He would bruise his heel by being unjustly persecuted to the point of death. <laughs> yet, yet, yet he would bruise the head of the serpent. He, he, would, he would bruise the head of the serpent by being buried, rising to life, defeating sin and death so that all that repent and place their faith in him would have everlasting life. The bruise to the serpent's head opens the gates of salvation for the children of the woman. This is great news. Do you know why I love this verse so much? Because it's the gospel. It's the very first time that we see the gospel. The first sin ever to happen. And the first thing that God does is talk about the gospel. Oh, that is amazing. Is it, is it not? Oh, Jesus, the Son of God, being the offspring, the true, the great, the perfect offspring of the woman would bruise his heel for us and in doing so would bruise the head of the serpent. Do you believe in this? Do you believe that Jesus has bruised the head of the serpent for you? Oh, what hope Adam and Eve must have felt in the midst of their guilt and shame to hear their creator talk about the gospel. And so what I, I want to do is I want to leave us with three points of application that I see in here. Have you been living in sin? Have you been living in sin and in so doing have felt guilt and shame? Turn to Jesus. That's what we're, we're called to do. John uh, tells us in 1 John that if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus. And that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. Oh, what hope it must have been for Adam and Eve to hear about this unforgettable promise from their creator. Have you been living in guilt and shame? Turn to the one who takes it away. Don't live in it anymore. Second one that we see in this passage. God is very clear from the beginning that trials will come. 
You do not have to be a Christian very long to know that it is true that trials come as the sun rises in the morning and sets at night. For a Christian, trials will come. This passage tells us that there will be conflict and war. There will be sickness, betrayals, losses. There's enmity that is now at war. You name the trial. It's out there. And Christians will experience it. However, the reason why this is an unforgettable promise is that Jesus bruised the head of the serpent. And although you may walk with a limp in this life, oh, one day you will no longer feel sickness or pain or walk with a limp. See, being found in Christ means that there is hope. How, how does that beautiful song, the end of that beautiful song in Christ alone ends? No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Trials will come, but your Savior will carry you along. And lastly, brothers and sisters, this, this is an unforgettable promise. Because it brings hope. It tells us that even though that there will be chaos and, and trials and conflict, there is hope. Imagine Adam and Eve hearing this. The hope that they must have felt. Have you been telling people about this hope? Have you been telling people about this hope? If not, what does that say about your love towards the people that you are around? Can you truly say that you love your neighbor while withholding the greatest hope in the world from them? If this is the greatest hope in the world, that people's shame and guilt can be taken away. That, that people can be comforted from trials. Not, not that trials will go away, but that they can be comforted through trials. Why would we withhold this great hope from them? That's insane. This is an unforgettable promise. Do you see this promise as unforgettable? Or as you walk out these doors, will it just 
go right out of your mind. Brothers and sisters, in the middle of chaos, guilt, shame, God gives Adam and Eve the very first promise, a a very unforgettable first promise. It may tell us that what is about to come may be hard, that there will be enmity and conflict, but it also tells us that he, that he will bruise the head of that nasty serpent because he is setting up something so beautiful to rescue his children from the bondage of sin. Let's pray. Father, would you please, would you please comfort those that are feeling weary? Would you put this passage on the minds of your believers, of your children, your adopted children, that before time you you adopted them to be conformed to Christ's likeness? Would you allow them to see that although they will experience trials, that, that we will experience trials of various kinds? You have made a way for us. And although we walk here with a limp, we will walk with you with no tears, no aches, no pains. Father, would you please allow your spirit to press this on our hearts? Would you allow this this next seven weeks to be a blessing as we look at the other promises and how each one of these great promises you've given us will build on the next? Father, thank you for this time. It is in your son's great name that I pray this. Amen. Before you go, I want to give a a quick benediction. Romans 5.18 says this, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Brothers and sisters, we have heard the word of God this morning. And so now I am charging you to go out to tell people about the hope that is in us. Have a great week.